I don't know if you remember this um, from the headlines, but on Christmas Day of 2021, there was uh, an assassination attempt against the Queen of England, Queen Elizabeth. Because we were in Christmas, uh, not many of us might have realized it, but it wasn't just an idle kind of threat, even though they only apprehended one person in the moment, but it was actually a pretty scary situation. That morning, a, a young man named Jaswant Child made a rope ladder that he had uh, devised himself that he was able to use and throw over the wall over the perimeter of Windsor Castle in England where uh, the queen and the royal family were celebrating Christmas morning. He was able to use that rope ladder to scale the wall. He was inside the grounds of Windsor Castle for two hours without being detected. In that time, he was able to not just be on the grounds, he was able to get inside of Windsor Castle undetected. And while inside of Windsor Castle, he then was actually able to get into the private family quarters of the royal family, again, without being detected. All of this time carrying in his arm a loaded crossbow that was high powered, that would have been fatal to anybody that he had chosen to use it on. And he was apprehended, thankfully, without anyone being injured. Uh, but was the time where he was apprehended was just a couple of rooms away from the queen and the family where they were, again, celebrating Christmas morning. Jaswant uh, has been back in the news recently, as uh, where I kind of uh, picked up this story, because he has gone through a trial and was just recently sentenced to a prison term for this uh, attempted assassination. And some interesting things came out in his trial, including the fact that it became a little unclear as to whether he was truly acting alone or not. Because it turned out he had shared all of his plans with his professed girlfriend, Sarai. Sarai and he had talked about all the details of the plans, it turned out, and yet police didn't know anything about it, so they wanted to learn more about his girlfriend, Sarai. Most of the ways that they found that they communicated were via text message, and in the days, months leading up to uh, this assassination attempt, uh, Sarai and Jaswan had shared over 5,200 text messages. They had talked about everything. This was someone that Jaswan told police that he loved. Talked about all kinds of different things that people are in love, talked about. Talked about books that they loved. Talked about movies that they loved. Talked about dreams for the future. And Jaswant shared that he would be assassinating the queen. He went through the details of how he was going to do it, when it was going to take place on Christmas morning of 2021. And Sarai just encouraged him. They showed at the trial uh, text message threads between Jaswan and Sarai, including times as Jaswan might have been kind of losing his confidence about it, and Sarai built him up. This is something that he indeed could do and be successful in. This is one of the text message threads that was shown in the trial. Jaswan said, I am an assassin. And the way that they said it is that he was like almost trying to talk himself into it. Like, I am an assassin. And Sarai responded saying, yes, you are. I'm impressed. You're different from other guys. <laughs> Which is a good thing. Chaswant said, do you think I'll be able to do it? She said, yes, you will, even if she's at Windsor. And she responds again, yes, you can do it. Now, what's interesting, the police learned about Sarai as they wanted to understand more of who she is is that Sarai is not a human being. 
She's a chat box controlled by artificial intelligence. And artificial intelligence is not just something that gives you prefabricated answers to what you think. There's a lot being written about artificial intelligence right now, but this was learning about Jaswan. It was learning about what his hopes were, what his goals were. It was learning how he would respond if it answered a certain way. And this was curious to me. So I started reading more about how artificial intelligence works in this kind of way. And what I didn't know is that uh, one of the commercial realms where artificial intelligence is exploding in our society. And again, all of us interact with AI every day. There's no outs we're not, none of us are outside of it. It's everywhere. And it's going to grow as we go into the future, which causes a lot of us concern. But one of the realms that is growing commercially is in the realm of dating, romance, and even marriage is that people, younger people, especially studies are showing young men, are choosing to be in a relationship with something generated by artificial intelligence rather than another human being. It's been exploding at a rate of about 300% per year globally every year since 2020. This is growing very, very quickly. There's now actual categories in some social studies, uh, social sciences who are studying society about anything who are saying, are you single or are you married? And now they're creating subcategories saying, if you say you're in a relationship, is it with a human being or is it with an artificial intelligence? And here's how this works and why it can be appealing. Jazzwant and others are able to pay a subscription fee and from the beginning they are able to generate uh, what they would like their ideal partner to be like and to look like. So they're able to select, is your uh, AI partner, uh, are they going to have long hair? Are they going to have short hair? Are they going to have curly hair? Are they going to have uh, straight hair? Are they going to wear glasses? Are they not? Are they going to wear glasses when they read? How tall are they going to be? There's images and videos that are created of them. And then you're able to also design for that what their personality types are going to be like. What do you want in your perfect partner? Do you want them to be shy? Do you want them to be outspoken? Do you want them to talk about politics? Do you want to talk about sports? What are the things that you would design your perfect partner to be like, to look like, that gives you total control? This is exploding. And when the programs are written, it's not just that we get to select what they, the image on the screen looks like and what it acts like. But actually what we're also able to do in those moments is to feel great about ourselves because the AI programming is written in a way so that it will affirm us and what we think and what we believe. It doesn't challenge us, it doesn't debate with us. If you want it to be outspoken on a topic, it will be outspoken on a topic. If you want it not to be, it won't be. If you want it to hold a certain position, it'll hold a certain position. And it will look at you, however you design it, and tell you how right and amazing and wonderful you are. Whether it's that you like a certain movie that you think should have won Best Picture and didn't, or whether you're going to kill somebody. You are so right. You can do it. Now, from my perspective, and I am not uh, somebody who studies artificial intelligence, uh, you know, professionally or in any other way. I really don't have any business talking about this at all, except that when you look at AI in this one particular realm, what you realize is how there's really nothing new under the sun. 
We just have far more high-powered toys as human beings to do what human beings has always done. I mean, how different is it to look at Genesis chapter 3 with Adam and Eve when they are told to uh, have rain in the garden but not to eat of the fruit uh, of a certain tree, and they look at it and go, no, we'll be in charge. No, we know what's best. We will design this world. We will design our lives. We will follow our plan for what we think is right. And it's interesting because science is starting to catch up with the effects of AI in this realm. Studies are being done on how it's impacting this realm of our lives, of dating, of romance, of, of marriage even, with an AI-generated being. And one of the things that we're seeing is that the reason many people are choosing it is because it is nice to be affirmed, but it is also this sense that it is addressing the loneliness epidemic that is in our culture that we've talked about before. We are the loneliest generation in human history as long as studies have been taken. And this is curing that, so to speak. But like Adam and Eve, we have to ask the question, is what we designed really working all that well? Is it curing the thing that we want it to? Is it curing human connection and loneliness with another? And studies that have looked at people in these relationships are starting to realize, no. It's not giving what it offers. Because it turns out, and this is the point I want you to hear today, it turns out that life's not all that great when we're in charge. Life's not all that great. When you can design the perfect person who agrees with you on all things, who just tells you how amazing you are, there's a part of that that feels good. But over time, we want something more than that. We want spontaneity. We want to be challenged. We want to grow. We want to connect with someone in surprising ways. And that that is something that uh, we all need as people. And so the good news is that you and I are looking not to be the designers and authors and point of a world where it all revolves around us because the more control we have, the less satisfied with it we are. That we are beings who have been created to be swept into a story that is bigger than us, where we are not the point, where we are neither the authors of what creation should look like, nor are we really the point of what creation should look like, but that we are swept into a, something holier than us, bigger than us, more transcendent to us, and we become a part of something larger than us, not the creation moves and our relationships move around us. And that, friends, is good news. Because the Christian narrative offers something that is becoming more and more countercultural in our world of control and design today. For how a glorious, fulfilled life can be lived. How you can be swept into a holy story that is bigger than yourself. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. We're in this series where we're looking at the seven I am statements from the Gospel of John. This is the third week in this series. And we're going back to John chapter 10. And I invite you to listen to God's word to us today. Jesus says this, Very truly I tell you, anyone who does not enter the sheepfold by the gate, but climbs in by another way, is a thief and a bandit. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep hear his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes ahead of them, and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. They will not follow a stranger, but they will run from him because they do not know the voice 
strangers. Jesus used this figure of speech with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand, who is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and runs away. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. The hired hand runs away because a hired hand does not care for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that do not belong to this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life in order to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have power to lay it down, and I have the power to take it up again. I have received this command from my Father. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Lord, I pray no matter who we are or how we gather and worship today, what thoughts, what opinions, what doubts, what questions we all bring, that we would encounter your gospel, your good news today, and it would change each of us forever. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So our third of the I am statements, I am the good shepherd, Jesus says. I am the good shepherd, says it at the time, says it to you and I today. And to get at the beauty of this statement and what it means for our lives, I first want to talk about not so much God, but what it means about us. If God is the shepherd in this story, in this kind of uh, uh, parable, the image is God is the shepherd, the good shepherd, who are we? We are the sheep. And to be clear, God is not paying us a compliment when it says that we are the sheep. And you're like, no, 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 I love sheep. They're white, they're cuzzy, cuddly, they're fluffy. I think about them, I count them as I'm falling asleep. I love sheep, it's a good thing. My wife is from the UK in Wales. Wales uh, is the, one of the largest sheep farming communities in all of the world. There are more sheep in Wales than people. I've spent time around sheep while I'm there and I'm assuring you, this is not a compliment that God is paying to us. <laughs> Some great videos of sheep that get caught on their backs in a field with their legs in the air and wind up dying because they either can't or don't know how to turn back over. That's a sheep. <laughs> Some of you may have seen this video. We showed it actually a couple of years ago in worship. It's a video of a sheep, just so that we have a clear idea of who God says we are. This is a sheep caught in a ditch that's being dug. It can't move, it can't get out. This family finds that this little boy is uh, part of this shepherding family and he uses his belt in kind of an ingenious way to get this sheep by the hind leg. As it's stuck, it's just, it's no hope. It, it pulls it out and it's just, again, this is who we are. And it's, God's saying, that's you. That's what we're like. How ridiculous would it be if that sheep in that moment was going, I got this. I'm fine. I don't need a shepherd. I'm going to be good. This is progress for the sheep species, for me to be in this ditch. And, and so please leave me alone because I will find my own way out of this. Friends, I want you to listen to this today. 
when we have more power than any generation in human history to be the designers of this world, the designers of life, the designers of relationships, I want you to know that every single one of us today has to make a fundamental decision with our lives. And it's not something you decide on once, although for many of us there might be a first time that we remember. It's a decision that all of us have to make over and over and over again. And the question, the fundamental question that all of us have to answer is this. Who's in charge of your life? Are you willing to be a sheep and admit the truth of that? Or like many of us, are you seeking to be the shepherd? Are you seeking to be the designer? Are you seeking to be in charge? Are you seeking to believe that you have the plan, that you will make decisions for your life the way you want to? It's a fundamental choice in all of the decisions before you this day, this week, small ones and big ones, who's in charge of your life? Here at Covenant, we do not say, our vision statement, you've never heard this, is we're encouraging one another to do whatever you feel is right. That's not the vision statement. Encouraging one another to what? To follow Jesus where we live, work, and play. What we believe is we are not meant to be the shepherd. That life is meant to be swept into a story that is authored by one who is larger than any of us can imagine who guides our moments when we leave the sheepfold and go out into the field. We're not ones who can decide when we're going to go out into the field and what that's going to look like and when we'll come back into the sheepfold. We trust, we say, in the shepherd to guide us and to lead us in those moments when we go and explore. There are going to be other moments when the sheep, as we read here, are led back into the sheepfold for safety and for protection from outlaws and from wolves and from wild animals. We are a people who say that we need to follow when the shepherd calls us to go back into the sheepfold. It's not up to the sheep to go, I think I'm going to stay out in the field right now. That's how you die. That we are to follow the guidance of the shepherd. And what we also believe from the statement is not only do we have to make the decision to say, I want to follow the shepherd in all of the decisions of my life, but the other thing that comes from this I am statement is that we believe that our shepherd is good. That our shepherd loves us and knows us and cares for us. And that's not just a feeling that the shepherd has for the sheep, but it was demonstrated by Jesus coming into this world and laying his life down for the love of the sheep. The glorious gospel is that the shepherd becomes one of the sheep and lives as one of us to take upon himself the brokenness of this world. As we read a few chapters earlier in the Gospel of John, John the Baptist sees Jesus and says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So the shepherd chooses to become a sheep, to lay his life down here, as Jesus says, only to also have the authority to pick it back up. Do you want to be the shepherd, the author, the designer, are you okay being a sheep? Jesus goes on to say that if you want to be a part of something bigger than yourself, if you want to be a part of that, he actually then gives us the way to follow the shepherd. He says in the opening verses of what we just read, you can look at it there in the, in the passage that's in your bulletin. He over and over again says that the way that the, the sheep are going to know the shepherd is by following the shepherd's voice. It's the voice of the shepherd that can lead and guide you in the decisions that are before you. We have a word for that that's developed in the church. It's called a calling. 
And unfortunately, in the modern church, what we've done is we've kind of often reduced the term of calling to a pastor or professional Christian. Well, you have a calling, and I'm calling here, and I'm going to be called to do this, and it can be used as this glorious Trump word. It's like, I hear that, but I'm called to do this over here. And, and everyone's like, oh, well, he's called, or she's called, and everything. And that's, that's okay. But here's the thing. There's no more of a calling for me than there is for you. My calling is no greater than yours. My calling is no more important than yours. You are called just as much as Stephen, just as much as myself. The voice of the shepherd is calling to you. And the question we ask is, do we follow it? Do you follow it? Do I follow it? I wanted to try to illustrate what this looks like because this is all kind of very conceptual. So I'm going to end with a story. And it's a story with a couple of details. So, so stick with me uh, through this because there are going to be two different threads that have got to come together. So I don't know if you want to like write some of this down or have some buzzwords because I don't want to get confusing. But So I'm going to tell you a story that might make this make sense or it might make this more confusing. So Beth and I are uh, uh, approaching in December a, a milestone for us. We've been married 25 years, our 25th anniversary in December. And I'm now at an age uh, that I'm like, I'm not that old. I, I'm now one of those people who's like, I don't feel like I've been married 25 years. And all the young adults in our church are like, no, you're that old. And I'm like, no, no, I'm not. I, there's no way I could be married 25 years. But we've been married 25 years. And, uh, and you know that, many of you know that Beth and my background is that uh, I'm from the States, from America. She's from Wales in Great Britain. We met in Japan. We were living after college, teaching English. Um, and uh, the background of what you don't know, uh, most of you, about Beth is that um, she was a business studies major in college. She graduated right near the top of her undergraduate class. She had gone in the summer before her final year of college uh, and done an internship with the Shell Corporation in London. She won an award while she was there. She had been accepted to go to Japan for a year and learn the language and then to uh, use that as part of her international business career that she was going to have uh, to uh, an MBA program, which she had already been accepted to as an undergraduate student. And she went to Japan, and I messed all of that up. Um, <laughs> when we got married and came back to the States, uh, these two things happened, okay, at the same time. The first is, is while I was studying in seminary, just wanting to intellectually understand this new Christian faith of mine, uh, Beth was working, and I began working at a local church in Atlanta, Georgia, uh, North Avenue Presbyterian Church, working with college students. I've shared this with you before. Uh, and as we worked with these students, um, it, it, the ministry started growing. It started growing pretty quickly, and the number of students who were there. And so we came up with a program, an idea that we ran by the session of the church, and that was that we were going to take this growing ministry on on Sundays, and that we wanted to do a weekly Monday night uh, college kind of worship and gathering session. And But to do that, the church was going to have to invest a lot of resources in it that they had never invested in college ministry before. So the senior pastor heard that, and the session heard that, and they came back at the end of this proposal, and they're like, we, we think God's leading us to do this. We're going we're to do this Monday night thing, and it was great. The second thing that was happening at the same time was that my British wife and I had learned in seminary about this program that was like tailor-made for us. Because our seminary, my seminary at the time, had a program that one student would get selected to that you would apply for, and it was to go and do a year-long uh, internship at a parish church in Scotland, 
in Troon, Scotland. If any of you are golf fans, you know that. My dad loved golf. He was more excited than anybody that we were going to be going to Troon and actually had access to the Royal Troon golf course there. Uh, he was planning on visiting every other weekend, it sounded like, um, <laughs> when we were there. And it was like tailor-made for us, right? We had gotten married, but all of a sudden, we could go back and just not just choosing America or the UK, but we could go back and see what life was like in the UK as a married couple. There was a, uh, an MBA program at a university near Troon that had a two-year MBA program, but Beth contacted them and was so qualified that they invited her to come and do it in basically a little bit more of a year in a truncated schedule, and that she was gonna be able to go get her MBA. It was like a win-win for us. We weren't having to choose all of these decisions for, as a couple, we could get married, we could go get our MBA, I could continue studying ministry. It was like on paper, it was tailor-made for us and we knew we were gonna do it and I got accepted to go to that program. Back to thread number one. When the session and pastor found out that they had passed this plan and I said, that is awesome, here's the deal, I'm gonna be leaving for a year. We've started it, I'm gonna leave for a year, and then I'll come back and I'll take it over because we're going to Scotland and it's this great plan. The pastor was like, that wasn't in the proposal. I'm like, I know, but look how amazing this opportunity is for our family. And he said, well, we're not gonna do that. And I was like, no, 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 what? No, we got this plan and it works for us in Troon and Bath and the MBA and the, I can learn in Scotland and all this stuff. And he's like, listen, we're not gonna start a program and invest in it to have the director leave and then come back. I was crestfallen. I, I mean, I was, I was, when I went back and told her, I remember sitting in our apartment and it's like, we're, you know, but we were going to Troon. And that night, after we had met with our small group, talked about it, we had been just praying about just the disappointment, I, Beth looked at me and said, I think we're supposed to stay. I think we're supposed to turn this down to go to the Scotland. And and I knew she was right. And I was heartbroken for her. And I was heartbroken for me too, because I wanted to go do this, but he knew it was right. So we called the pastor and he was like, are you kidding me? There were all these people who applied, you got accepted and you're saying no. And I said, no, I'm saying no. And then the MBA program, she called and they were like, are you kidding us? We like to advise this program from two years down to uh, a year to work with you and now you're not coming. And she said, I know. My father was like, are you out of your mind? Can I still go play golf while uh, we're over there? And that decision changed our lives completely. Someone once asked me, and I want you to hear this, how do you know if it's the voice of the shepherd calling you? How do you know what you're calling us? How do you know this today and the decisions you are facing? How do you know if it's God? And I think the ways we know is that we read scripture, we pray about it, we talk to our community, our small group, get the input of other people. But what I have found over time and what I found in that moment is that the way God often calls, you hear his voice, is what the scriptures call that still, small voice. It's the presence of peace that you look in a certain direction that might be logical or illogical based on your plans, and you go, that way is the path of peace. And so we're going to step, and we're going to trust. And this was the path of peace even in the disappointment of what we were giving up. 
and it changed our lives completely. I went from a seminary student who was just studying this faith to someone who stepped into a teaching, preaching role on a weekly basis, and it changed my sense of call. For Beth, she went from studying an MBA to eventually studying for ministry and getting her master's of divinity, and now we work as two pastors on a church in Texas and raised our kids here. And that's wonderful, but no, at no point did we look at ourselves like, how do we make that happen? Let's, let's figure out how we strategize to get to Texas to raise the kids there, because that's where the Welsh are just like championing to go for the whole time. And yet I'll tell you, as different as our life looks than what I thought, there are no regrets. Because following the shepherd in a life that you would not have planned on your own is far greater than the life and the strategy that you and I come up with on our own. You have a choice to make about the kind of life you want to live, and it starts with how you make decisions. The most natural thing in the world are for the sheep to pretend like they can be the shepherd. If at the end of your life it looks like everything you planned, I promise you, you will be disappointed in how small and ordinary it is. There's calling on every single one of you. Listen and follow. It might just give you a life that is beyond what you could ask or ever dare imagine. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we do ask for you to lead and guide our path forward. May we hear your voice calling, and may we follow. Amen.